Well, good morning, North Star. It's so great to see you guys, whether you're here on campus or whether you're worshiping online. If we've never met, my name's Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here at North Star. It's going to be a great, great morning. We are actually kind of in the last couple of weeks of our Elijah series. And man, it's been an amazing time as we've looked into the book of 1 Kings, and we've looked at the life and the way God used the life of this amazing prophet named Elijah. And so I don't, I don't know if your family's like my family, you're probably not, but we like to binge watch shows. Any binge watchers here, right? And so for the past year and a half, and I'm really kind of ashamed to say this, we've been binge watching Survivor. Any Survivor fans? Like, yeah, so some of you, we just never gotten into it before, but in the past year and a half, we've probably watched like 30-something seasons. And so, um, so a lot of Survivor going on in the Hoover household. And so at the, at the beginning of every episode, like most shows we watch, uh, Jeff Probst in Survivor says, previously on Survivor, right? If I had to say previously on Elijah, it would literally take me 20 minutes to catch you guys up on everything we've talked about for the past month. So if you haven't tracked with us in this series or you haven't been able to be here, maybe you've been out, go back online, go on the website or go on YouTube and watch this series and study in the book of 1 Kings because the life of Elijah and the way God used this man is unbelievable. But I do want to catch us up from the past couple weeks, because it leads right to where we're gonna study today. If you wanna turn in your Bibles, we're gonna be looking in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses one through 16. And if you have your Bible app, you can look there, or if you have the North Star app, uh, then tune there, all the message notes are there. If not, go to your app store and just type in North Star Georgia, North Star GA, and uh, you can download that and everything's there. But while you're turning there, I wanna catch you up from the past couple weeks. So two weeks ago, Elijah kind of had, man, a massive victory as he stood against the prophets of Baal. Now, Baal, Baal is this false god that these guys are worshiping. And so Elijah goes up on the mountain and he basically challenges them, right? He says, hey, why don't you make an altar of wood? I'll make an altar of wood. You do your thing, pray to Baal and see if he comes down and sends fire the one whose altar gets burned up, that's whose God is real. Well, of course, they make this big altar. They dance around it. They do all their uh, stuff. Nothing happens. Baal doesn't come through because Baal's not real. So then Elijah builds this altar of wood. It's him versus hundreds. And he brings in water and dumps water on it. Not one, not twice, but many times. And so this thing's floating in water. And he prays to God to rain down fire and guess what? God rains down fire. Not only burns up the wood, burns up the water, laps it up, everything. And then they slaughter all the prophets of Baal. Welcome to the Old Testament, right? And, and so amazing victory that you see. Yeah, amazing display of power and might that God puts on. And then last week, as soon as that event was done, Elijah began to pray for rain on this drought-stricken land. And last week, we talked about the prayer life of Elijah. And man, he got down on his face and then a cloud appeared about the size of a man's hand, they said. And Elijah looked at King Ahab, the evil king, and said, hey, buddy, you better get in your chariot. This is the Daniel version, right? Uh, Bible doesn't use that word. But you better get in your chariot. You better go back home because if you don't, 
the rain's coming and you're not gonna be able to get there. And so that's where we pick up today. So chapter 19, verse one. When Ahab got home, so he's rode all the way back home, he told his wife Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So basically he comes back and he dumps on her everything that's happened. Jezebel's not happy. So Jezebel sent a text message or a DM to Elijah. And this is what's a carrier pigeon. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there, right? So she says this. She said, may the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, right? This woman is ticked off. She's hacked off at what Elijah did. Normally, let's kind of take this in, in, right? Let's frame this based upon what we've been studying the past few weeks. Normally, Elijah would have looked at her. She would have sent this message to him. Hey, I'm gonna kill you by tomorrow night. He would have said, come at me, right? Okay, big deal. We see a little different Elijah here though. Let's pick up in verse three. It says, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. What? Who who is this guy? He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on, and this is a key word we'll look at later, alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. So a broom tree is a massive uh, bush-like tree in the desert. It looks like a bush, but it's, it's huge. And so a lot of travelers would park underneath the broom tree, get some shade from the sun, rest a little bit. This was a little bit different for Elijah. He wasn't just getting out of the sun. Elijah went there and he prayed that God would just end it. He said this, he said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. And then he laid down, and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him. And he told him this. He said, get up and eat. And so he looked around. And there beside his head was some bread baked on a hot stone and a jar of water. Wouldn't that be nice? You wake up and there's some like muffins there or pancakes. My kids do that for me all the time. Like I wake up and it's right there. Yours probably do too. So he ate and he drank and he laid down again. Verse seven, and then the angel of the Lord came up and touched him and he said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank the food and it gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now this is interesting because typically that journey from where he was to Mount Sinai was about a 10 to 12 day journey. But for him, it took 40 days. And 40 nights. Isn't it interesting when we look at scripture how God uses that number 40? Right? The, the children of Israel traveled for 40 years uh, on a journey that should have really just taken them a few weeks. Elijah traveled for 40 days on a journey that should have taken him about 10 days. I think God had more for Elijah than just traveling to get to the place. I think Elijah went on a journey with God during this time. In verse nine, we pick up there, it said, he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, 
what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel, they've broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and they've killed every one of your prophets. And God, I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He said, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it, it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Here, like, like Elijah hasn't been through enough, right? <laughs> he's in a cave, he's tired, and he's discouraged, he's praying, God, just end it. And God sends him out on the mountain, and then this massive wind, this rain, this earthquake, this fire comes and I can't help but think that God's saying, Elijah, you remember who I am? But God wasn't in any of that. God was in that gentle, small whisper. Verse 15, or verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And then the voice said again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, he said, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel, they've broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and they've killed every one of your prophets. And God, I'm the only one left. And now, now they're trying to kill me too. And then the Lord told him, I want you to go back the way you came in. And I want you to travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Heziel, king of Aram. And then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi. And I want you to anoint him the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah to replace you as my prophet. So I want to ask this question. What on earth is going on with Elijah? Here we've studied all the great things that God's done through Elijah. The man was fed by ravens in the middle of a drought. He was sent to live with a widow woman for about three years, and God provided for him every day. There was food there for him. They didn't know how it was getting there. It was God. And then her son dies. Elijah prays over him. He comes back to life. And then the prophets of Baal thing and the rain. And you would think Elijah would <laughs> mountaintop. And then this woman sends him a death threat, who honestly... Knowing her, she probably sent about five people that day, right? <laughs> I'm going to kill you for tomorrow. She was just that kind of person. And it, and it just stops him. I, I love reading scripture about great men of God. Men that, and, and this characterized the whole life of Elijah. The voice of God spoke and Elisha was obedient. Everything, everything we've talked about. The voice of the spirit of the Lord came upon him and Elijah did it. I love Abraham, Moses, Apostle Paul, Peter, these great men of God. But sometimes it's really hard for me to identify with that. I can identify with this guy. I love that God left this story in here. Because have you ever had those people in your life that you just really, man, they were, 
they were spiritual giants for you. You know, you kind of put them on a pedestal. You know, they're, they're just, maybe they're your mentor or someone you really look up to. And then that day comes where you realize maybe they, they slipped up, they messed up, they said something, they, they, I don't know what it was, but you just saw they're human. And James tells us in the New Testament, hey guys, Elijah was a human just like us. And we get to see in this story that Elijah, although God used him, he's just human. And so I want us to look at two questions. Here's, here's the first question. What sent Elijah into that cave? What's, what sent him in there in the first place? And then I want us to look at how God responded to it. You know why I can identify with this, Elijah? Because I've been in the cave myself. And I'm not talking about splunking. I mean the emotional cave. I think, I think as we look at Elijah, we're dealing with a guy who is severely discouraged. I think that Elijah was struggling with some depression here. You ever been there? Maybe you're there now. If you haven't been, you will be. Because you know, last year, depression-related illnesses was one of the top two or three reasons for death in the United States, along with cancer and heart disease. If you haven't been in the cave, if you haven't been under the tree, you're gonna be there. I've been there. What sent Elijah into that cave? Because I don't know, I don't care if it's 2,000 years before Christ or 2,020 years after Christ. Guys, we're all human and we all deal with similar things. And God deals with us similarly. That's the way he lays it out in scripture. So I want us to look at a couple of things. I think God has some lessons for us today on why we go into those dark places. Why are we going to the cave? Here's, here's the first thing that sent Elijah into the cave. First thing, he was caught up in the backlash of a great victory. He was caught up in the backlash of a great victory. Man, he, he sees God do amazing things in taking care of the prophets of Baal. And then he prays that God would send rain on a drought-stricken land and God sends torrential downpour. I mean, how awesome. You're a part of that. You see God do amazing things. But there's an old saying, what goes up must what? Come down. And Elijah got caught on the backside of that spiritual victory. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, our most vulnerable moments usually come after a great victory, especially if that victory is a mountaintop experience with God. Because see, here's the thing. The enemy, Satan, the devil, he, can't, he doesn't know the future, so he doesn't know what God's gonna do, but he knows what God's done, and he can respond on the backside of it, right? So when we experience a great spiritual victory, a lot of times we come down off that mountain and the enemy hammers us. And I think that's what's happened to Elijah here. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing I think sent him into that cave. He allowed fear to control his mind. He allowed fear to control his mind. Verse three says, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. What, is, what does fear do? Fear freezes us, doesn't it? Fear stops us in our tracks. When we get scared, when we get fearful, we can't push forward because we're, we're fearful that the next step might be the last, right? Elijah normally wouldn't think a thing about that death threat, but 
in this case, man, he could not push past it. Here's what fear does. Fear minimizes God in our life. It doesn't minimize God. It minimizes our view of God and what God's done in our life or what God's currently doing in our life. Makes it very small in our, in our mind. And, and, it, and it magnifies the thing in front of us. So we forget all that God has done. We forget all that God has provided. We forget all the blessings around us. And then what does a magnifying glass do? It takes something very small, very probably not that important, and it makes it huge in our life. Something that really shouldn't be that big a deal gets magnified and we forget. Now, people that come into to my office for counseling, one of the things I tell them to do when they're stuck in fear or they're stuck in discouragement, as I tell them, and it's a very simplistic thing, it seems oversimplified, but make a, make a thankful list. What? Every day, I want you to write down one or two things that you're thankful for, and I want you to put it on your mirror when you're getting ready or put it in your car, on your dashboard, something like that, and add to that list every day and spend about five minutes just thanking God for that thing. Small things, big things, whatever. Because the scripture tells us that Thanksgiving opens up the gates to the presence of God. It's like the keys in the ignition of the car. It tunes us in to God thinking because fear stops us in our tracks and we can't see what God's doing anymore. Elijah allowed fear to control his mind. Here's the third thing. He allowed fear to control his mind. Elijah also isolated himself. Remember, he left his servant in the city and he traveled alone into the wilderness. He got away from the people that can encourage him. You guys ever cooked with charcoal? Same thing happens. If you want to cool down your grill, what do you do? You take out some charcoal and you kick it on the ground. Guess what happens to the charcoal that you isolate and you kick out on the ground? It cools off. While all the charcoal that you bunch up together stays hot. We stay hotter when we're together. God never intended, and Mike has said this from this platform many times, God never intended for us to do this life alone. But when we get discouraged, what do we do? We get away from people. Now, ladies, this applies to you, but because I'm a guy, I really want to talk to the guys. Guys, we're the worst. You know where we go? You know what our cave is? It's usually the stairs to the basement where the video games are, or it's, it's scrolling on our phone, or however you escape this world, that's what we do, and we isolate. I can't tell you how many women come into my office for marriage issues, and they say, my husband just won't come. My husband won't talk to anybody. He won't. He doesn't want to come because we isolate ourselves and we get away from the people that we know can encourage us because we might have to open up a little bit. We might have to be a little bit vulnerable. And the last thing we want to do when we're discouraged or we're depressed or we're down is be vulnerable and open up. Guys, you need men to go on this journey with you. We're all going to go into the pit, but when you go in the pit, don't go in the pit alone. Let someone know you're there. We need men. We need guys that come along us. Ladies, you need godly women in your life. When God created Adam, what did he say? He said, it's not good for man to be what? Alone. That's why he created Eve. That's why he created mankind. Because we need people. We need each other. 
We need people that are gonna encourage us, that are gonna partner with us, that are gonna protect us, and that are gonna pray for us along this journey. Don't sit underneath that tree alone. I think, I think that's what Elijah did. Here's the fourth thing. He was physically and emotionally exhausted. It says that he lay down and he slept under the broom tree and then he woke up and he ate some food and then, and then what? He slept some more. And then when he went on that journey and he got into the cave, what did he do? He slept some more. Elijah was exhausted. I mean, rightfully so. Look at what all he had come through. Look at what all he had seen. But he was physically and emotionally exhausted. And I don't know about you guys, but man, when I'm tired, when I'm physically exhausted and emotionally exhausted, I just, I get grumpy. <laughs> I get more emotional. And guys, it doesn't come out with crying sometimes. It comes out with anger. Guys are like, oh, I'm not emotional. Yes, you are. You yell. It, when, I get, when I get tired and I get, man, and guys, some of us, we just need, men and women, we need rest. It may just be you need a vacation. You need some time away. But it might not just be that. In his book, The Depression Cure, Dr. Stephen Alardi said this. Listen to this. As humans, we were never designed for the sedentary, socially isolated, sleep-deprived, poorly nourished, indoor, frantic pace of the modern American life. This life that we've built for ourselves in suburban America, I don't know if... We're designed for that. So I want to tell you a story, and I want you to know before I tell you this, <clears throat> this is not prescriptive. It's just descriptive. It's, it's the story of our family, and you take it for what you will. <clears throat> Excuse me. But back in January, um, so Colby, my son, He's 11, he just turned 11. He just got a look on his face like, what are you about to say about me? So <laughs> Kobe just turned 11, and, but back in, he was 10 when this happened. Kobe's been playing travel ball for the past several years. Kobe eats and sleeps baseball. You love it, don't you, buddy? And so um, when he doesn't have a fork in his hand, he has a bat in his hand, right? And so he was playing travel ball. And Bonnie and I always said, listen, as long as he pulls the cart, man, we'll push it. We'll be behind him, but he's gotta be the one out front. So it was January, workouts for spring were about to start back up. They just finished fall, and uh, Bonnie, they're in the car, and Bonnie asked him, she said, hey, buddy, you're really looking forward to workouts starting back? Typically, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of got a look. She said, what's wrong? I said, uh. So they kind of dug in, and when he found his words, he said, we're just, we're in the car all the time. And we got practice like three or four nights a week. And dad can't ever eat dinner with us anymore. He just has to meet us at the ball field. And I have tournaments every weekend. And I, I, I don't get to go to church. I, I just really miss family time. My 10-year-old <laughs> had to tell us that the world we created for him, he wasn't designed for. And so we have a mission statement and core values for our family. And so we kind of went back and did that. And Bonnie and I were like, okay, this is done. He made this decision really easy. You know what? He, he played rec ball. Went back one night a week, one game a week. 
You know what we've done since then? He's helped with a garden, build a garden on our farm. He's helped me build out an old barn. He's used a circular saw, a drill, a table saw. We've spent a lot of great time together. We've eaten dinner together on the front porch a lot. We've infused a lot of Mayberry back in our life. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying you have to do that. What I am saying is our families might need to have some conversations about the pace of life and the decisions we've made for how we're spending our time and setting up our life. Because sometimes I just don't know if we're designed to live this way. Most counselors and doctors and psychiatrists have determined that a lot of depression and anxiety that's happening in our world right now is because the choices we've made. Not all of it. Some others, chemical stuff involved. But it's because of the way we're living our life and the decisions we're making about our life. Here's the, the fifth thing. Elijah got lost in his self-pity. He got lost in his emotions. And because of all that we've talked about, he just said this. He said, God, I've had enough. Would you take my life? I'm no better than all the ancestors who's already died, gone before me. Oh, I just... I think God was looking at him saying, you know what, Elijah, you're right. You're not any better than the ancestors that's gone before you. But I am. I think sometimes we don't need more self-esteem. I think we need more Christ-esteem. Because when I think too highly of myself and then I drop the ball, I go way down in the pit. You know what I'm saying? I think we need a better view. I think that's why God sent him on that mountain and sent the earthquake and sent the fire and sent the wind to remind him, hey, let me remind you who you are and let me remind you who I am. Elijah got lost in his emotions. But I want us to look for the last few minutes. How did God respond to him? I want us to answer this question. Because I don't know about you, but I've seen God respond in the same ways in my life. A few years ago, man, I went into about a six-month pit. And Bonnie was probably the only person that knew him. The kids were real little then. They were too young to pick up on it. But God responded in somewhat of the same way with me. Here's the first thing. God gave him rest. He allowed him, he allowed him to rest. He allowed him to unplug. He allowed him to defrag a little bit. God even nourished him with healthy, good food. I don't know about you, but man, when I'm in the pit, when I'm in the cave, when I'm under the tree, the last thing I want is good, healthy food. I want all the ice cream. And I don't mean like a little bit. I want all the ice cream, like with candy on top, right? But God let him rest. He let him, he let him sleep. He says he looked around, and there beside his head was some fresh baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and then he laid down again. God nourished him physically, gave him rest. He also gave him exercise. He sent him on a 40-day hike, right? That's what you want to do when you're depressed. Here's the second way God responded. He communicated wisely with him. He communicated wisely with him. This is interesting. Says, but the Lord said to him in that still small voice, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? 
That's not the way I usually communicate. My kids can tell you. It'd be like, come on, man, we're all tired. Come on, get in, pitch in. Come on, man up. We got to get going, right? No, God just, so my, my master's degree is in counseling. And I'm going to tell you right here, God puts on a master class for counseling in this, what he does here. He's empathetic. He loves, he gives him some nourishment. And then God asks him a very simple question. What are you doing here, Elijah? He doesn't tell Elijah why he's here. He just asks him. And he, he wants Elijah to dig in his heart a little bit. He wants Elijah to do some self-reflection, some in, introspective thinking. Basically, he wants, he's counseling Elijah. Some of you guys are in the cave and you need to talk to somebody. You need someone to look at you and very lovingly ask, what's going on? Why are you here? Can I help you unpack this? It's what God did with him. We need someone to ask us those questions. We need to dig in. And then here's, here's another thing. Number three, this is interesting. God let him go into the cave. He let him rest. He, he, he allowed him to dig into his heart a little bit and pull that out. But then God said this, I'm not gonna let you stay there. God put him back on mission. God said, all right, it's time to get up. It's time to go. He put him back on mission. Let's look at what God did. He said, go back the same way you came in. Don't, don't go a different way. I want you to go back the same way you came and I want you to travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram and then anoint Jehu, grand of, uh, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. God didn't say, hey, go back to do the same mission. God gave him a brand new mission, but he gave him a mission. Men, I'm gonna talk to you again. A lot of the reason you're sitting on your couch, a lot of the reason you're losing yourself in your pastimes is because you don't have a mission bigger than your pastime. Women, I'm saying this to you too, but men, we were designed for a mission. When men don't have a mission, when men get bored, men get in trouble. I'm just telling you, and you know it's true. You need a mission. I don't know what that is. If you got kids, you got a wife, there's your first one. Here's your biggest one. You need something bigger than the couch to get off the couch. You need a mission. Get on the road. Let's go. You've been in the cave long enough. What is that mission? I don't know. But you need one. We need to move on. We need to move ahead. And here's the fourth thing. God gave him a friend. God gave him a friend. That's something and anoint Elisha, son of Snapchat. I think that's pronounced differently. Son of Shaphat from the town of Abel Mehaloam. Y'all just got that. To replace you as my prophet. He didn't just give him a friend, but this guy was gonna be somebody he would mentor, someone he would pour into. This guy was gonna be the guy that would be his successor, but he'd, tra he'd be a traveling companion for him. We need somebody that can be a friend, a traveling companion, and we need somebody that we can pour into and invest in to walk this road with us. There's a couple of things, though, as I wrap up. You know one thing I saw here? I didn't see, actually. 
God never changed his circumstances. She never sent a message back that said, hey, guess what? I, ah, cooled down. I've changed my mind. Death threats off. You're probably a great guy, just a misunderstanding. He didn't, she didn't say that. That didn't happen. Circumstances didn't change. Death threat was still there. Life was still hard. If we're in the cave, if we're under the tree, if we're dealing with discouragement, depression, chances are your circumstances aren't going to change. Especially not overnight, maybe in time. But a lot of times God doesn't change our circumstances. He moves us through our circumstances so we can see how great and awesome he is. To God be the glory, right? Here's some other else, something else I saw. It seems like everything God, how he responded to him and the things he did is everything you don't want to do when you're in the cave, when you're under the tree. Elijah, wake up. You need to eat. I don't want to wake up, God. I just want to sleep. Take me out of this life. Elijah, eat some healthy food. I don't want healthy. I want ice cream. You had ice cream? Got a milkshake. Cook out milkshake. That's what I want, God. Elijah, you need to go on a 40-day journey. Oh, gosh. Lord, you want me to exercise? What? I can't get off his cows. Elijah, what are you doing here? Counseling. I don't want counseling. I tried that one time for 10 minutes. I hated that guy. I'm not going back to counseling. It doesn't work. It's stupid. It's a racket. They just want our money. Elijah, what are you doing here? We need to dig into this a little bit. Elijah, here's your mission. You want me to, you want me to go on a mission trip? What? I can't get off the couch. I got I to gotta get in a smoke. I don't want to do any of this stuff. Guys, the thing that gets us out of the cave is usually the things we don't want to do. But God knows what's best for us. And listen, I'm not saying the cure for your depression is read your Bible more and pray more. No, that, that's what we, we need to do that. That's what we need to do anyway. But God's got more for you than you think. He's got, you might be saying, but Daniel, I've been, I've been diagnosed with depression. So your diagnosis is bigger than God. Diagnosis is great. I want to be sympathetic to that. It's a very real thing. There are very real things going on. But that diagnosis isn't a card to keep you in that cave forever. That diagnosis is just a, well, hey, God, guess what? I got bigger, I got bigger prayers. You're going to have to deal with me in some big ways. God is bigger than any diagnosis you got. Not to minimize it, but he is. And he's bigger than your circumstances. And I'm only saying this, man, because I've had to come out of the cave. I feel like I struggle with the cave now. I feel like sometimes I just want to sit under the tree now. And this is a, a great reminder to me. Will you pray with me? Father God, I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's just sheer exhaustion. I don't know if it's isolation and loneliness, if it's a lack of mission, or maybe it's a combination of all of that. But God, whatever we're dealing with in this room and online today, God, I pray that the people listening, I pray we all understand that you care and you love us. And God, you, you minister over us. 
You speak those small words. But then there comes a day where you say, get up and get going. And God, I don't know if the cave that someone listening today is they've been in has been a week, if it's been a month, if it's been a year. If that discouragement has been short-term or long-term, God, we assume it's probably two or three months from the story we read today with Elijah. But God, today I pray that you will strengthen, you will encourage, and most of all, you will reveal yourself to us. And you will pull us out of that cave and remind us of who you are and what you can do. God, put our feet back on solid ground and help us to move forward because you've got a great mission for us. Father God, I love you. I thank you for stories like this that remind me of how frail I am and how great you are. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.